Appreciate that very much. Very good singing uh, this evening that we've had all day long. I want to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 with you for a reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll begin in verse number 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14. We'll be reading this with the ideal of compromise. We want to study together for a few minutes the danger of compromise and how to deal with it. So bear that in mind as we read this passage together. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this evening, 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 14. Uh, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said... I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Compromise. Let's think about it for a few minutes. There are precious truths, precious doctrines that we hold dear simply because of the reality of God and the truth in His Word. We hold dear the existence of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We hold dear to our hearts the Bible as the inspired Word of God. We hold dear to our hearts the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to this earth as the Son of God. He lived the perfect life. He suffered and bled for us, died on the cross for us, was buried and raised on the third day, walked on the earth for 40 days and ascended up on high in the presence of his apostles. And he's now at the right hand of God. We hold this truth dear to our hearts. We believe fully in what the New Testament reveals about the gospel plan of salvation. We hold dearly what the New Testament reveals about the worship of the church. It is not something human-centered, It is not something unregulated. There's a clear pattern as to how we are to worship the Lord. We hold dear to our hearts how God has called us to live in His church and as lights in this world. We hold dear to our hearts the mission of the church. We hold dear to our hearts what God says about the family and how children are to be brought up. 
The idea of compromise is that we can't be fuzzy on any of these precious doctrines. We can't be fuzzy. You see, the devil has many tools in his bag. And he loves to come at us, not in a direct way, but of course, in a stealth, indirect way. Right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul says, we are not ignorant of his devices. The only way we can be ignorant of the devil's tools is if we don't read and study God's word. But if we do, we'll know what he's up to. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, same book, says that the devil blinds the minds of the unbelieving. He don't come at us directly. He don't, sometimes he doesn't come at us with a full charge. But rather he tries to sneak around and get us in the back door. In 2 Corinthians, again, this book, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, sometimes the devil appears as an angel of light. One of the tools the devil loves to use is compromise. Compromise. And so let's together look at several ideals based on Scripture that can help us to deal with the danger of compromise. You could list more than what we list. This will be an excellent study for a month long or, or longer. But for our time tonight, let's look at a few ideas together. First, we must be careful with people. We must be careful with people. We are taught to love people as Christ loves us, certainly John 13, 34, and 35, and we will do that. We will seek our best to do that. We want to lead people to the Lord and we will do our best to do that. But at the same time, we must realize that false ideals are not floating around here in the air. Rather, they're usually attached to people. And sometimes people can be in hindrance. Sometimes people can be in outright danger. We read in 1 John 4 and verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit but rather test the spirits because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. You see, false ideals are attached to people. We have to be careful with people. There's an illustration of this in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. I want to bring up for just a minute. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 9. You remember Nehemiah is leading the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem following Babylonian war, Babylonian captivity, And now they're allowed to come back. And he's done an excellent job, has wonderful co-workers with him, but they have some opposition. The name of some of these fellows are Sam Ballot, the opposition fellows, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Geshem. And Nehemiah 6, verse 3, they're almost at the completion of the building of the wall, and they come up to Nehemiah, and they've tried a lot of other tactics on him. But they come up to him and say, we'd like to have a meeting with you. A meeting with you in in the plain of Ono. Just a meeting with you. And Nehemiah said, rightly so, he said, I'm doing a great work for the Lord. And why should I leave this work and come and sit down and talk with you? But there's more to this. After that doesn't work, then, then these men send a letter to Nehemiah later on. 
And in that letter, they reach out to him and they say, the people think that you are building this wall in order to rebel against the leadership here and that you yourself want to become king of these people who have come back and rebuilding uh, the wall. And so uh, we, we want to help you and we want to sit down and have a meeting uh, with you. Okay. And then Nehemiah responded again. He said, no such things are taking place, have taken place or are uh, taking place. And Nehemiah goes on to say, you are making these things up in your mind. We will not come and meet with you because, again, we are doing the work of the Lord. Now, most likely the people in our lives are not going to be as malicious as Samballat and Tobiah and uh, Geshem is with Nehemiah. But still, we must realize that people can be a danger. Okay. No matter the relation, no matter the good intentions of our heart, no matter if it's family relations, no matter if it's friendships, no matter if it's business partners, we just cannot, in God's sight, sacrifice uh, truth. Now, of course, as followers of the Lord, we would love to lead our friends and our co-workers and our family members to the truth, but we can't sacrifice the truth in doing that. We need to ask them for a Bible study. If, if there's conflict, and there is conflict, there's conflict in my family, there's conflict in most every family okay, regarding the truth of the Bible. We must try to ask them for a Bible study. We must give them scriptures uh, to consider. We want to lead them piece by piece and step by step into the light of the truth of the gospel. And one thing that we can do, like Nehemiah, we must be confident in, in, in who we are. We must be confident in what we are doing. That's, that's the way Nehemiah, Nehemiah was not trying to be a smart lady. He had been truly called by God to go rebuild these walls in Jerusalem. These men had alternative motives. They had alternative plans for Nehemiah. He was right to stick to the work. And in the same way, we must be confident in the work that the Lord has called us to do uh, today. We must be careful about people. Jesus brings this up in Matthew 16, verses 5 to 12, when he said to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they eventually learned, if you read through that paragraph, Matthew 16, 5 through 12, if you read through that paragraph, they've eventually learned that what Jesus is talking about is the teaching. Beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But it took them a while to get there because of this. When Jesus said, Beware of the leaven, they thought he was talking about food, real food, physical food. Okay. And Jesus became, you can tell in the, in the paragraph, Jesus became a little um, frustrated. He said, look, look. He said, do you not remember, and you can go back to Matthew 14 for this, but you don't remember that I took the five loaves and uh, fed 5,000? Do you not remember, this is Matthew 15, do you all remember that I took the seven loaves and fed uh, 4,000? And he's trying to get his disciples to see, you need to get your mind off of temporary things. You need to get your mind off worry of food, and you get, need to get your mind on, on what I'm talking about here, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Sometimes it's not other people that's being a hindrance to us. 
sometimes it's not other people that's the danger. Sometimes it's even ourselves because our mind is not on eternal matters. We remember what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is renewed day by day. In verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 4, says, while we look not at things which are seen, but things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen, they are eternal. And so don't we see here that we've got to be careful with people. If we want to love people, absolutely. Love them. Love them like the Lord loved them. Lead them to the truth, absolutely. But also realize that out here in the world, there's, there's error, there are misleadings, and we have to be careful. And then a second thought here is we must love the truth. We must love the truth. If we're going to deal with the danger of compromise, we must go back again and again and tell ourselves, you know, how is my love for the truth? We must love the truth. And Jesus is the truth, so we're going to love the Lord. We've got to love the truth. In 2 Thessalonians 2, in verse 10 through 12, Paul is warning about a falling away that is coming. And he said, when this falling away happens, there will be some, there will be some, who will not receive the love of the truth that they may be saved. Not just the truth that leads to salvation, but it's the love of the truth that leads to salvation. Proverbs 23, 23, as you know, says, Buy the truth and sell it not. And buy wisdom and knowledge from the Lord. You know, to purchase truth it takes some effort. It takes time and and, and reading and study and rereading and remembering and forgetting and remembering again and working with that truth. Buy the truth and sell it not. When truth, see, there's a certain nature about truth. When, when truth is um, accepted, when it's received, then error is automatically rejected. It's the way it is. The first reading we had there from Second Corinthians six, you know. Light cannot have communion with darkness. A truth cannot intermingle with error. When there is a talk show that begins to discuss philosophy, and this is also pretty much the way it is in most academic settings nowadays, when there is a discussion of philosophy and how men ought to conduct themselves Everything that is mentioned on that show or in uh, that academic setting is giving equal value. No matter how bizarre, and you've seen this, no matter how bizarre, no, no matter how outrageous in our current world right now that we live in, no matter how bizarre or how outrageous it is, it is given at least equal footing with what is said in the Bible and most of the time it will be given higher footing higher value than what is said in the Bible. But the fact is, when truth is received, then error is automatically rejected. Light and darkness cannot mingle together. And this also about truth. When truth is received, then all half-truths must be rejected. This is where compromise comes in. When truth is received, then all half-truths is rejected. There's Good many people, in fact, probably a majority of people, that when truth is taught, they'll receive it. You know? But 
when the exclusive nature of the truth is brought up, then that's when the hostility begins. Truth is exclusive. Acts 4 verse 12 talks about salvation only being in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men, that scripture says, whereby we must be saved. We've got to be saved. The only way to it is Jesus. That is exclusive. Okay, and that's where the hostility usually begins. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus himself says, Not everyone who, come, who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. And John says in 2 John verse 9, Whoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God, but he that abides in the doctrine, teaching of Christ, has both the Father and the Son. So we see it plainly. We see it plainly. That's, that's when the rubber meets the road. That, that's when the hostility begins. And so we've got to love the truth. There's, there's no substitute for that, to love the truth. My dad was, a, I've mentioned several times, he was in his um, spare time, he was a baseball coach. Most coaches, when I was younger, had the same philosophy. There's no substitute for hustle. No substitute for hustle. In the same way, in the same way, there's no substitute for the love of the truth when it comes to the religion of Jesus. Now, a third idea we want to mention has to do with the beginnings and extremes. You see, the beginnings of a bad practice is just as bad as the extremes of that practice. Notice here in our reading of 2 Corinthians 6, he says, touch no unclean thing. Don't even touch it. Don't even touch it. In a similar way over in Colossians 2, 20-22, Paul in speaking about the precepts and commandments of men, he said, handle not, taste not, touch not. He even asked in that passage, he says, how is it that, that you have been uh, separate from the world? You're now living for Christ, but you're living as if you're still in the world. And he says, touch not, handle not, taste not. You see, it's not just, according to Jesus in Matthew 5, it's not just the murder, but it's the anger that Jesus condemns. Again, in Matthew 5, it's not just the adultery, but it's the lust also that Jesus condemns. You see, it's in, in Scripture, it's not just drunkenness that's condemned, but it's the drink also. You don't believe me? Proverbs 23, 31 says, Do not look upon the wine when it's red. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. It's not just the drunkenness, but it's the drink. It's the one drink. That would lead to that drunkenness, of course. It's not just the fornication that's committed, but it's the immodesty and the thoughts along with that that would, that would be wrong as well. 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 and 10. You see? It's not just the outright practice of things that the Lord is concerned with, but it's also the little things that can lead to those extreme practices, those extreme habits. 
when we come together to worship, of course, we're going to respect what God has said. But we need to do the same thing whenever and wherever we worship. I know many of you have, have uh, worships outside of our regular assemblies. We have devotionals in homes. We have, we have times where we're even worshiping God, and this is fine. In fact, it's encouraged. Just worship God on your own. You ever just sing to the Lord yourself? But when you do that, you don't want to do it with a mechanical instrument or music at all because we still respect God wherever we're at. See, it's not just the extremes of a bad practice, but it's the beginnings as well. And then in the next place, we need to see the need to fight. Okay. We've got to see the need to fight. Again, in our beginning reading of 2 Corinthians 6, it says that Christ has no accord with Belial. In other words, uh, there's, there's no peace between Christ and Satan. Belial means a worthless one. This is Paul's way of referring to Satan. And Satan is called a lot of things in Scripture. He's called the accuser. He's called, um, he's called the tempter. Uh, he's, he's called the lion that roars about, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, but here Paul calls him a worthless one. And there's no peace between Christ and Satan ever. There, in fact, out of this we see the need to fight. Look strongly at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 uh, to, um, to support this. Ephesians 5, verse 11. Paul says, Have no fellowship have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them or some translations have expose them it's not just a rejection of error that the Lord has in mind but it's an outright warfare against that which is wrong and we can't stop short of this it's not just a rejection of things that are wrong, but it's a warfare against those very things. Is what Paul is teaching here. This is contrary to a popular philosophy that says, live and let live. You see, we're more convicted than that. We cannot sit idly by while Satan destroys the lives and the hopes of men and women boys and girls all around us. We can't sit idly by. Not if we're convicted. We can't do that. Let me tell you something. The world is not sitting idly by, is it? The world is after our young people. The world is after our children. The world, world is after our wives. The world is after our husbands. The world is after our grandmas and grandpas. The world doesn't sit idly by. Now, we, we love to read and, and we appreciate Acts 2.47 there as we're reading through that, that, that day of the church being established, and then the continuous um, devotion to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, Acts 2.42. We appreciate that. We love to read about how the people have become so much like Christ, unselfish, and giving to each other, and they continue to meet, and they continue to, to bring people to Christ. And it says in Acts 2.47... That day by day, people were added to the church and they had favor with all the people. But I'm going to tell you something, that favor didn't last a long, last a long time. It lasted for a while. 
But you don't read much further into the book of Acts. You see Peter and John being arrested. And then you see them beaten. Now they went, according to Acts 5, 40-42, they went their way and they rejoiced that they'd been able to suffer for the name of Jesus, but they were beaten before they were let go. You don't read much further than you see Stephen stoned to death. It just gets worse after that. All the things that, that both Peter, Peter in prison, and James killed uh, with a sword, and then you've got all the sufferings and beatings of Paul. It didn't last very long, and the reason it doesn't last long because... The world doesn't sit idly by. It's a battle. It's a fight. We cannot sit it out. And then, next thought is, we got to know that we know. Talking about knowledge of Scripture. This is another thing that that um, there's no substitute for. Love of the truth, knowledge of Scripture. We got to know that we know. First John two verse three basically says this. Hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2, verse 3. We've got to know that we know. We can't just be second-guessing. We, 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 can't, we can't be hoping. We've got to know the book like we know everything else in our life and then better. We've got to know the book like we know the back of our hand. We've just got to know the book. I'll tell you something. When a person knows that he knows, when a church knows that they know then really it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. This was the spirit of the 1940s and 50s in America when the Lord's church, everybody in the church was making it their business to know why, how we are saved and why we are saved and what it takes for a person to find the right church. I tell you what, I've enjoyed so much. I'm still doing it, really. But... Leo's family, y'all remember, Leo's family didn't want any of his possessions. And that's such a shame. Crying shame. When you go through Leo's Bibles, we have some of them sitting up here. But I, I, have, I have the good ones. I have the good ones. Because the good ones are the things he wrote in those Bibles. And you can tell he was out here beating the bushes. He was out here looking for people. He was out here, and he wasn't, he wasn't a full-time preacher at all. <laughs> He was out here as a regular member of the Lord's church, and he wasn't out here in Alabama. He wasn't out here in Tennessee. Leo and Maryland spent most of their adult years in Ohio, where the church is not very strong. You can tell he was out there doing it. No substitute for that. He knew that he knew. You see, there's a danger in forgetting the ABCs of the gospel. Look at Hebrews 5 and verse 12. Where the apostle says, For when there was a time that you should become teachers, you have need again that someone instruct you, instruct you in the basic principles of the oracles of God or the basic principles of the gospel of Christ. We can, we can forget our ABCs and then we'll have no idea. And how can we help? How can we be a light to this world? this dark world if we don't know what we're talking about. There's a sad verse in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 7 where Paul says, and he's not, he's not, he's not complimenting people. If you look from 2 Timothy 3, he's saying in the last days, here it comes. And by the way, we're living in the last days. Last days are days of Christ. 
days of the covenant of Christ, the New Testament system. Okay. So he says, in the last days, they're going to be lovers of self, they're going to be lovers of money, they're, going to be, they're not going to be lovers of God, they're not going to be loving the truth, and the list goes on. He comes down to verse 7, and here's more. They are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's not a compliment. They're ever learning, but never able to come to knowledge of the truth. The gospel is not that hard. It, the Bible is just not that hard. You don't have to keep learning. The reason they were ever learning and not ever able to come to the truth is because they're not listening well. It's because they're listening to too many other things. And they're still trying to learn the truth. Some people will say, if, if you ask them a religious, religious question, they'll say, well, there are different opinions about that. And there's not. There's not. There's one opinion, and that's Jesus Christ. Find it right here in the New Testament. There are people who say, when, when you ask them about their religion, they'll say, well, I'm still searching. I'm on a journey. You know, that's, that's one of the most popular things. A lot of the Hollywood actors that are asked about their beliefs, they'll say that right there. I've heard it. I've heard it. They'll say, well, I'm kind of on a journey, and I don't, I, I don't, I'm not sure. They look at that as something, um, uh, something intelligent. They, 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 they think that they're a little bit above all the rest of us who are sure. To be unsure uh, in some people's eyes is to be, uh, is to be intelligent. Is to be knowledgeable, to be unsure. Let's know what Paul says. He says, you're ever learning. You're in an ever-never club. It's the ever-never club. You're ever learning, but you're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. It shouldn't take us. If you have a person that, that really wants to learn, then I would say you could, in three or four hours, you can, you can pretty much give them a good, sound teaching about what it is to be a Christian and be a member of the Lord's member of the Lord's church. It's not that hard. So we must know that we know. And then finally, we must accept the stigma. There is some stigma. Jesus said, I think it was in John 16, the first few verses, but he said it in several places, that if they pretty much persecute the master, they're going to do the same thing to the servant. If they persecute the teacher, mistreat him, then they're going to do the same to the student. We are his servants. We are his students. We must accept the stigma. 1 Peter 4 and verse 4, Peter says, they're going to think it's strange that you don't run with them. Well, that's okay. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. It is what it is. They're going to think it's strange that you don't run with them. Okay, we've got to accept the stigma. Don't you wonder, and it really is this, this simple, if you say that 2 plus 2 is 4, that's not dogmatic. Nobody's going to come around and say, you're dogmatic. If you say, well, if you stick your hand in that fire, you're going to get burned. If you, if you made that statement, nobody's going to say you're dogmatic. But if you say, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved, all of a sudden, guess what? You're dogmatic. You're just going to have to accept some stigma here. One of the great things that, big things, how great it is, big things, of course, is said that, that 
you believe you're the only ones going to heaven. There's a fellow who passed away. He was, um, he was in Leo's generation. His name is Mac Layton. Mac Layton. He was from Texas, great gospel preacher. Here's how he answered that. Whenever he was studying, he, he'd answer it this way. He would say, We read in Acts chapter 2 of the Lord building his church. And we must be members of that church if we're going to walk with him and go to heaven to be with him. He said that's how he answered. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You can't get around that. You're not appealing to yourself. You're not appealing to your church. You're just appealing to what is written there in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is in everybody's Bible. And so, of course, as I said, many things could be said about dealing with compromise. We know the devil's tools. We know this is one of them. But I firmly believe that if we'll watch out for false teachers, be careful with people, if we'll be sure to have that love of the truth, if we'll be sure not to let any little beginning false ideal even begin to be accepted, and if we'll see the need to fight, Okay. It's not just rejecting error, but it's, it's taking a warfare against it. When we come to know the scripture and know that we know it, and when we're willing to accept what Jesus said, just accept the stigma that goes with it, then we will stand up the way God wants us to stand up. We will deal with compromise the way God wants us to deal with it. And so this evening, as we have studied a little bit together, if there's any need here, uh, this evening among any of us. This is a good time after having read scriptures. It's always a good time to examine ourselves. That's what Second uh, Corinthians 13.5 says. To examine ourselves whether we're in the faith. That takes a lot of introspection. That takes some deep down soul searching. But let's search our souls and if there's any spiritual need that we can assist each other with. It may be that someone here is ready to obey the gospel. It could be that someone listening in over our streaming services is ready to obey the gospel. We love, we love to assist, talk with you, and study with you. So make it known right now as we stand together, as we sing, Brother Paul.